How are you guys doing? Jesus. Thank you that you are our Savior and our King. Thank you that you have set us free from the chains of sin and death and the law. Thank you that what is most important is guaranteed by your death, burial, and resurrection. Help us to be a people that continually turn back to the truths that are eternal and secure because of you. Teach us through the Psalms tonight, we pray. We ask this in your name, amen. amen. I know you just sat down, but I'm gonna have you stand up and we're going to read Psalm 27. Well, I'm going to read Psalm 27 and you can follow along. Psalm 27. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of Yahweh, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not afar off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. You can have a seat. 
So most of us have some moments in our life that set a trajectory for us. This was one for me. It happened over 20 years ago. I was working as an engineer, doing a bunch of traveling. I happened to be in Washington, D.C., had flown in on Saturday, and I was going to deal with some equipment that we had sold to the government, and there were some problems with it, which is never fun. That's not like, oh, this is going to be great. So it was a pretty stressful, like I knew Monday morning was not going to be fun. So I wake up Sunday morning, and I went, I need to go to church. So this is before Google and before any of those things. So there was the Yellow Pages. And I look it up, and I'm just looking for a casual church. So I look for a Calvary Chapel. There's a Calvary Chapel not far away. Great. So I drive over there. It's a 10 o'clock service. I get there right about 10. And it's in a rented space in a strip mall. Walking up there. I'm just casual, like, you know, Calvary Chapel, khaki shorts, Hawaiian shirt, right? That's kind of like, I wasn't that casual, but I'm pretty casual. And I walk up and there's a greeter at the door and he's in a full suit. And he's this big, handsome black guy, just giant smile. He goes, hi. I said, hi. He said, are you new here? I said, yes, I am. He knew, right? So he's like, let me get you a seat. I said, well, thank you. So he takes me in to the front of the church, right? Not a big church, 45, 50 people. And as I'm walking in, I'm noticing it's all black people. I am the only white guy here. And I get seated like second row. And so you sit down and you know how you can feel everyone looking at you? Like the back of your neck has some kind of receptor on it that can feel people staring. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I think I chose the wrong church. Not only is it all black, they're dressed up. Man, they get dressed up for church. I'm dressed down. So I'm like, oh, man. And then praise started. And I'll tell you, that was epic. <laughs> Clapping on rhythm. <laughs> right? The age-old question, can Christians dance? They could. I couldn't. They could. Right? I felt like, Steve Martin on the jerk, you know, he's like trying to clap and like looking like, I felt like that, right? So long praise time though, man, long. And then this guy, Pastor Steve Gardner got up and he was preaching out of First and Second Samuel, Life of David. And he's preaching and it was epic, like restoring to my soul, long again, right? So probably nearly an hour of praise and he preached for another hour. It's pack a lunch, we're doing church today. And then after he's done, there's more praise and there's announcements and there's an offering like, this is church, right? And when he's preaching, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. They're amen in him. They're standing up, quoting verses back to him. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing, amazing. And then after the service, Steve Gardner came and, hey, you look new here. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and so we talked a bit, and then he prayed for me. And then I went back to my hotel. Now, Monday morning had not changed, but I had changed. The stress was still in front of me. The circumstances were there. I knew what I was facing. I knew the problems with the machine. I knew all that. I was right there. Nothing had changed about my circumstances. 
But man, I had changed. My perspective had changed dramatically. The anxiety that I was feeling about these possible conversations and what was gonna take place the next day, they were all gone. I was set free. I love it. And I think that's what you get right here in this Psalm. You got anxiety in life? Are you worried about stuff? David would know what it's like. I think at a level that you and I can't comprehend today, right? He had much higher stresses on him than you and I ever will have. The previous king tried to murder him, twice tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, grabs 3,000 people and hunts him down for months and months and months, chases him all around, traps him in a cave over and over. Like the only good news is this, Saul was a terrible murderer. That's the only good news. But that's high, high stress. The moment David steps into being king, the arch enemies begin to attack the Philistines too. The, like the day he is coronated, the next sentence is, and the Philistines attacked. It's war on all sides for him. And if that's not bad enough, man, he's got family drama. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Another son kills the rapist. And that same son ends up rebelling and driving David out of his house, even out of the country. So I don't care what your stress is, it probably didn't compare to David's. You probably don't have people hunting you down and trying to kill you, unless you're in a really shady business. Unless you're a drug dealer or something, probably not, right? You probably hasn't have one of your kids kick you out of your house and then drive you out of America, right? Because you're still here. So high, high stress. And it's in those moments that David pens Psalm 27, and it's brilliant to me. It's, if you're stressed, if you're, if you're anxious, if this is happening to you, it's a manual to walk through that. Your circumstances may not change, but your perspective certainly will. So check out what happens. Verse one, David begins right out of the bat. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He begins with God. I need to lift up my eyes off my circumstances, off the stressors that are all around me. I need to get my gaze up higher. And if you're in here today, and you are saved by Jesus Christ, that is number one. When we get back to who God is, it shrinks every problem. Even if things are really good for you, I think you still need to get your eyes up. So there's this fascinating little text where Jesus sends out his disciples, and they go out and they do these magnificent works. They cast out demons. They heal the sick. There's miracles done. And they come back to Jesus. It's Luke chapter 10. You can read it. And they're all excited. They're like, Jesus, this is amazing. Demons listen to us. We healed the sick. This is awesome. We've got the power. 
And do you know Jesus' reply there? It's not, it's not like, yeah, that's awesome. He's like a wet blanket. He looks at him and this is what he said. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. What? An angel who has real great power, maybe the highest of all powers in heaven below God, had the power and it caused him to fall. Be humble. You guys feel like you got the power. Look out, look out. And then he says this, don't rejoice that you cast out demons. Don't rejoice that you healed the sick. Don't get your identity as a demon kicker out her. Don't get your identity as a miracle worker. He says, rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. That's the most brilliant thing I've ever read. Our identity is not based on how great we are, how much power we have, the magic things we do, the miracle things we do, the moving, whatever it might be. That's not our identity. Look out when your identity is based on those things because you're gonna face a fall. You base your identity on the one thing that cannot change. You are a citizen of heaven and that can never be taken from you. It is based on Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how you become unmovable. That's how you become bulletproof. Rejoice, Jesus says, that your name is written in heaven. Glory in that because you're stable. That's what you stick your anchor in. That's the rock of our salvation. That my name, is written in heaven, and I am a citizen of eternity, adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. Brilliant. He begins with God. When you're stressed, you begin with God. Get your eyes up. Look up to God, right? And then he says, you're my stronghold. Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Avengers, but there's one little scene in it that I like. There's a big alien you know, invasion from somewhere. I don't, I don't watch enough of them to understand it, but I watch it with my son. And remember there's like this alien and they're all coming and there's these hordes and hordes of aliens coming. And their thing was this, we have an army. Earthlings, look out, we have an army. And the Avengers replied back, if you remember, they said this, oh yeah? Well, we have a Hulk. And that was it. That's what you say. No matter what the enemy is whispering into your head, no matter what accusations are coming, no matter what stress is facing you, oh yeah? I have a Jesus. I don't care what army you come with. I don't care what stress you come with. I don't care what attacks you come with. I have a Jesus and it outmatches everything that you've got. The creator and sustainer of the universe has written my name in eternity and guaranteed with his blood that it cannot be erased, I have a Jesus. You get your eyes up, number one, I don't care what stress you have, number one, it's God. Number two, he looks out. Verse three, 
when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. He names his fears, right? He names his stressors. He names what's worried, right? He's got adversaries. They want to eat up his flesh. He's got foes. Armies are encamping against him. Wars rising against him. He names them all. Man, it's a fearful thing. Imagine having an army camped all around you. And David's not in a castle when he's doing war. Guess what he's in? He'd be in a tent. How defenseless is a tent? You ever been camping at night and you hear a noise and you're thinking, oh my goodness, a half a millimeter of nylon is between me and that noise. That's not a safe moment, right? You ever been scared in a tent? Many, many years ago, 1998, school of ministry, we're hiking the, the rogue trail. Instead of hiking down river, though, Jim Wright had us hike up river. I'm like, Jim, really? Like, it's a thousand feet of elevation or something. We should be going down, right? But that's Jim Wright. He likes to make things hard. So we're camping up and we have just a diversity of kids in it. One was this 17-year-old who turned 18 during the school of ministry. His name is Matt Nicastro, came from LA. Just full-on city boy, out of his element, Southern Oregon. So one night we are camping and it starts to rain. And I just brought pretty much a sleeping bag and a eight by 10 tarp. So I tied it up to these trees and I'm just laying underneath this tarp, getting ready. And Matt Nicastro comes over and he's like, hey man, um, do you mind if I, if I just crash down here with you? I'm like, sure, no problem, Matt, come on. So he gets down and he's like, I'm kind of afraid of bears. I'm like, dude, I have never seen a bear out here. Forget it, man, don't worry about bears. So go to sleep. I'm sleeping soundly till about 5.45 a.m. I just get this jab in my rib. And Matt's like, there is a bear at the bottom of our tarp. I'm like, no way. I look up, lo and behold, there is a bear at the bottom of our tent. He's like sniffing our feet, like, are those edible? And Matt's like, what are we gonna do? And to this day, I don't know why I did this. I just looked up, I said, go home, bear, go home. And Matt looked at me like, what? And the bear looked at me like, what? And then he ran off and went home. <laughs> and so Matt Nakashi was like, can you do that? I'm like, yeah, these bears are trained, bro. <laughs> the sad part of that is he was mauled by a bear a year later. I'm kidding, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Tents are not defendable. If you can't say to the bear, go home, you're doomed, he wins. So David is surrounded by armies and surrounded by foes and he's in a tent. He's got nothing. These are people that want to hunt and to kill him and to take him out. And so David is honest about the danger that surrounds him. Part of the reason why I love scripture, there's a bunch. I love how honest scripture is about life. It doesn't make it happily living after. It doesn't make it, hey, you're gonna have it easy. Hey, here's a get out of jail free ticket. The Bible's really honest. There's adversaries and there's wars and there's people that wanna eat up your flesh and it's a dangerous, dangerous world. 
It doesn't downplay the danger of the world. And most of us know that. We know life is a battle. It can be a battle against disease. It can be a battle against the enemy. It can be a battle against our culture, right? It's a battle. And the New Testament over and over says, put on your armor and get ready. Put on your armor because it's a battle. And sometimes I think we got to sit down like David and name, name the things that are coming against us. Just write them out. Here's what I'm stressed out about. Here's the battles I'm facing. Here's what's coming at me. So he names them, but this is what I love the most about David. It's what he does next. Verse four, one thing have I asked of Yahweh and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. He goes to church. I gotta get to church, man. Got these things that are overwhelming me. They're gonna take me out. I gotta get to church. He needed a church experience, maybe like I had in Washington, D.C. Man, didn't change my circumstances, no doubt, but changed my perspective. Changed me. Helped me, right? So David knows all the things he can't control. Can't control these adversaries, can't control the Philistines, can't control Saul, can't control, right? He knows all the things he could not control. I tell people all the time when I do counseling, listen, there is pretty much one thing you can control and it stares at you in the mirror and you wake up in the morning. So I know that you'd love your kids to do this or your ex to do that or your husband to do this or your wife to do that or your neighbor to do it, but you can't control them. There's one thing you can control and it stares at you in the mirror every morning and that's it. You can't control inflation, you can't control, right? You can't control what is happening in our country. There's so many things, I can't control that. What's one thing I can control? Me and my response to it. And that's what David's saying. All this stuff, all these enemies out there. Okay, what do I need to do? Well, I need to get some time with God. That's what I need right now. I need to get some time with God. And I always wonder in my own heart, when I'm stressed, what's the ratio of my screen time to my scripture time? Am I doing what David did right? One thing have I desired. More time on social media. One thing have I desired. More time out golfing. One thing have I desired. He goes, right now, the, one, the only thing that matters is to get some time with God. It's verse eight. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. He responded. And he says this, I want to dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life. The word dwell there is a fascinating Hebrew word. It means to sit, to be at home in to feel comfortable in, like, this is where I belong. I want to belong in your house. You ever feel like you don't belong in the house of God? 
I talk to young people who are moving out of the faith for whatever reason, deconstructing things, asking questions, doubting, whatever it might be. Maybe it's, hey, Christians are such hypocrites. Uh, it's a professor said this. It's, there seems like there's inconsistencies. Whatever it is, it's intolerant, whatever, I don't like the Old Testament. Whatever it is, God seems angry. And it's interesting, if, if you talk with them long enough, you start to poke a little bit. When did you start having these doubts? When did you start having this? Well, I started having them when I moved in with my boyfriend. Oh, Genesis 3. What happens the moment they sin? They hide from the gaze of God. They get behind a tree. They sew fig leaves together. They start making excuses about why they don't believe. Why? Because they don't like the gaze of God anymore. Are we at home in the house of God? I hope so. If we're not, I almost taught Psalm 51 because it is the manual for how to repent from sin. And David just gives us how to do it. And he sinned bigly right there. Murder, adultery, lying. Big sin. And he says, here's how you get back. Restore the joy of my salvation. Renew in me a right spirit, right? Give me a clean heart, God. And then he says, I'm gonna get back into ministry. It's brilliant. It's one of the most brilliant Psalms. And if you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think I belong in the house of God. It's either a satanic lie that you need to refuse by faith or do Psalm 51. And watch the joy of your salvation be restored. Watch him renew within you the right kind of spirit where once again, it's your heart saying, seek my face. Amazing. And what is he after inside the temple? I wanna gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh. Isn't that fascinating? You're like, what? Normally we come to church to praise and be uplifted, or we come to church to learn something new. Not David. He wants one thing. I want to see God's beauty. It's so unique. Emmanuel Kant, who's this philosopher that has some really brilliant things to say, like 80% of what he says is brilliant. The other 20%, you're like, oh my goodness, right? So he's one of those guys. But he talks about this right here. And he says, what's fascinating about the human appetite is this. We, we have a limited appetite for food, right? It can be the best food in the world, but you can only eat so much and then you're full and you don't want any more. You couldn't tempt, you know, with the, whatever you love the most, you're like, I'm full, I can't eat anymore. Sex, there's only so much sex you can have and they're like, I'm full. But he said, you know what? Humans have a limitless appetite for beauty. There's never enough. There's never enough. I've never seen too many beautiful sunsets. I've never seen too many beautiful vistas. And right now, if you've noticed, church architecture is really dark. Have you noticed that? Maybe even other churches, they don't have windows in them anymore. They wanna, it's all about controlling the lighting. We wanna control the light, mood lighting, you know, dark for praise, light for worship. So it's controlled lighting. I said, not at Edgewater. I want God's beauty in here. We're going cathedral old school, where there used to be, what mattered most is bringing in God's beauty to this place. Not controlling everything, letting God have control. All right, if it's gonna be sunny, great. 
It's going to be a little windy. Great, right? Trusting God. I want his beauty in here. I want him to be beautiful. And to me, it's like one of these areas that you can like measure, measure your own spirituality. Why am I coming to church? And so much of our motivation, mine included, is for me. Help my marriage, help me be a better parent, help learn the scriptures. Nothing wrong with those things. But I think the highest, the highest is not, I find Jesus useful. The highest is, I find Jesus to be beautiful. Because beauty transforms people doesn't it? It's beauty that the limitless appetite of the human soul is for beauty. And we know that. Husbands, you would never write on your anniversary card to your wife, honey, I find you useful. You're as good as my steel chainsaw. Your husband. Why? Because you're going to sleep outside that night. We know that. It's beauty that captures, it's beauty that transforms us. So David's saying, yeah, I know God can protect me from my enemies. He can do all these great things and God does those great things. But my highest goal is to see him as beautiful. Have we ever sat just in awe? Not, not of what we get from the cross, which is amazing. Sins forgiven, sanctification, right? Great justification, adoption. Like you can just go on and on and on. Wow, have you ever sat and just marveled at what Jesus did and how beautiful it is. His act of unconditional love and giving to us, the undeserving man that I am, that's what changes me. Oh, wow. Jesus, you are beautiful. You're beautiful. I don't care what army comes against me. You're better. You're better than life. That's what happens to you. Not useful for my life, not giving me some clue to life. You are better than life. You exceed life itself because of who you are. That's what happens to us. This is what David knew. He goes, I'm going to the temple. Not to get something for me. I'm going to the temple because I want Jesus to be that much more beautiful to me. It's brilliant. And then the rest of this chapter is, it's faith. He just begins to, okay, all right, I had some enemies, I had some problems, I get it, I got in the temple, I inquired, I saw God's beauty, and most of us, we're just like this. We ricochet between faith and fear, don't we? One month we're full of faith, next month we're full of fear. It might be even quicker than that. One day we're full of faith, next month we're full of fear. It might be even quicker than that. One hour we're full of faith, and the next minute we're full of fear. Like we just ricochet back and forth. We all do that. It's pretty natural. I was reading about this missionary a while back and he went to Sudan to a Sudanese tribal group that just kind of migrated around Sudan and the missionaries there had moved and they'd left. So he came in, he and his family came in and the first thing he did was this. He said, hey guys, I don't wanna redo the foundation that's been laid. What have the previous missionaries taught you? And this Sudanese group said, the missionaries before you taught us how to fear. He said, what? Yeah, 
when one of them would get their visas revoked, because Sudan is a Muslim-dominated country, when one of them would get their visas revoked and they'd be shipped out, all the rest of the missionaries would be afraid to preach and they'd be quiet. When someone would get sick in the community, then they would all stay at home because they were afraid that one of their children would get sick. When money got tied and they they couldn't pay the bills that they wanted to pay in the way that they wanted to pay, they'd immediately pack up and move back home because they were afraid of their bills. The previous missionaries taught us how to be afraid. What an indictment on us, huh? Here's what David's going to do. He doesn't want to live in that fear. He doesn't want to be dominated by those things. He doesn't want to ricochet back and forth like that. So he's saying, I need a new perspective and I need one of faith. So verse five, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Notice, in the day of trouble. God doesn't take away the day of trouble, not from the day of trouble. It's in the midst of, of trouble, he's going to hide me in the midst of it. Do not be surprised by difficult days. They're coming for every single one of us. Being a Christian doesn't mean you escape from difficulty. Being a Christian means that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God says, I'll walk with you. And you will endure this. At the end of this, you will see how healthy it was for you. That just like James said, I count it all joy when I fall into difficult times, knowing that the trying of my faith produces patience. And let patience have her perfect work that you might be complete and entire, lacking nothing. I didn't even know I had lacks until I went through that. And now I've been made whole. Romans 5, 3. I glory in my suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces strength, right? It's throughout the Bible. Jeremiah, do you want to run with horses? Yes, I do. Then trust me. Don't freak out when the Jordan River overflows and there's troubling times because I want you to run with horses. I can go on and on and on. That's what it is. Not from it, in it, because it's creating something in us. And by faith, we say, okay, let's go. Then he puts his head up. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. What's the one thing you don't do when you're surrounded by enemies? Pop your head up, right? Why? Because you're target practice. And then he says, even worse, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. What's the other thing you don't do when you're surrounded by your enemies? Start making a bunch of noise. David's like, I'm so free of fear now. I'm gonna pop my head up and I'm gonna start shouting for joy. I've been transformed. I have courage now. And then it ends, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait 
for Yahweh. I love that conclusion. Remember this one right here. David says, midst of stress, midst of turmoil, enemies all around me, bad things happening, no doubt. He goes, I believe that I will see God's goodness. Not in the far away, not in heaven, not in eternity, like we like to say all the time. Excuses, I think. He says, I want to see it right now in the land of the living today. How bold is that? I want to see it in Grant's past. I want to see it in my family. I want to see it in church. I want to see it now. I know there's a battle. I know there's stresses. I know there's diseases. I know there's problems. David's not ignoring all that. But he says, in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of disease, in the midst of stress, I want to see God's goodness as well. I love that. Is it bold or is it a perspective? I see God's goodness every single day. I see it when I eat really good food, Swedish meatballs, God's goodness in the land of the living. I see it when I wake up and I drive through this beautiful county that we get to live in, God's goodness in the land of the living. I see it when my Volkswagen starts. God, you are so good. (laughs) Praise your name. <laughs> it's yes, bold, but it's also a perspective. And here's what I think. I think in my life, if, if you took every stress that might be there in life, every stress that you have, financial, relational, kids, whatever it is, and you took them and you stacked them all up on one side of a scale and you put Jesus on the other side of the scale every single time, he's better. It's perspective. David says, I'm going to see it because I'm going to find it. You will find whatever you look for. If you want to look for stress and you want to look how bad things are, you'll find it. But if you want to look at how good God has been to you in the land of the living, you will find it just as easily. That's what I think. And that's the secret that David's learned. In the midst of this, head up, enemies all around, taking pot shots at me, no problem. I still see how good he is. I think sometimes we discount God so easily. So Eli Cunningham, I don't know if you've heard his story. Goes to church here, great guy, firefighter in town. Month ago, gets a x-ray on his shoulder. There's a tumor in there. That tumor, every time that tumor has ever been found in that spot, It's been malignant. It's been really, really bad news. So he gets that bad news. This is a really bad spot, really bad cancer, super dangerous. Look out. Uh Uh-oh, bad news for you. So the church starts to pray. Tons of people are going to pray for Eli Cunningham. Well, last week, turns out that they evaluated that tumor, and it's the first time ever they found that tumor to be benign. Oh, you know, it's benign. Was it benign? I say, no way. God heard his people and healed Eli Cunningham. And I give the glory to God. That's what we have to do. His goodness in the land of the living. We discount things so quick now. No way. Not me. God 
healed Eli Cunningham. Praise the Lord, right? It's perspective, it's perspective, it's perspective. And twice David says this, wait, wait. I think sometimes we are so like, God, you have to do something now. And because God doesn't do something now, we jump out and we do it. We make giant mistakes. Haste always leads to waste. So David repeats it twice. Wait, wait, wait for me. Wait till you get that peace that passes all understanding. Wait for my spirit to say, now is the time. Wait. What do I do when I'm waiting? When you have time. Go back through this psalm and circle all the I wills. I will seek. I will trust. I will wait. I will look. I will inquire. I will lift. I will hear. I will sing. I will believe. I will be strong. On and on and on. What do you do when you wait? Everything else. The I wills. And you see your life transformed. You become strong. Prophet Isaiah just put it like this. It's Isaiah 26.3. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You want peace instead of anxiety? The I wills of Psalm 27. So Jesus today. Thank you for the good path that a very flawed man named David chewed through life. May we learn well from him. I pray for any in here today that, like David, feel overwhelmed by the stress they see around them. I pray that we would take stock of you. Our names are written in heaven's book where they cannot be erased. That you have a hold of us. That no one can snatch us out of your hands. That you will complete the good work that you began. Now unto him that's able to keep us from falling and present us faultless on that day, be the glory. May we take stock of what has been given to us and cannot be undone. May we see your beauty and may it change us and may we be a people that believe that your goodness can be seen tomorrow, tonight, right now. And give us eyes to see it. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.